economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm uh, Nate Johnson, the producer and new graduate assistant for the Gortney Institute. We have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gortney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics, as well as Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. All right. Well, yes, we have a special show today because uh, I am very pleased to announce uh, a voice that you're going to be hearing a lot of in the future uh, because he's going to be our new Gortney Institute Professor of uh, Economic Education and Research at Ottawa University and the Gortney Institute. So we have Peter Jacobson, who is um, actually still finishing up his doctorate degree from George Mason University. Uh, he'll be working on that this year while he's working for us, uh, trying to put help us out at the, at the Gorton Institute, uh, uprooting his whole family and making a trek, uh, I guess halfway across the nation anyway, from Virginia to little old uh, Ottawa, Kansas. And so, uh, Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you, Russ, and it's a pleasure to be with you and Nate and Justin all. Uh, looking forward to, you know, lots and lots of podcasts coming in the future and uh, just honored to be making the trek to Ottawa. Uh, excited to, to make the move. Great, great. Well, so we, uh, we've, I've been interviewing a lot of different folks and uh, Peter just uh, really stood out from, from the rest uh, in terms of what he brings. And so we're excited to have him uh, join in the team and since we have the Faith and Economics podcast, I thought we'd uh, have him explain a little bit about his faith and economics. I mean, what does all that mean to you? Uh, what, what brings you to this point? What attracted you to this position uh, in regard to faith and economics? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll get into that. So kind of growing up, um, I had, a, we'll say, a, a very um, traditional sort of ritual-based faith where I, I just kind of did things and I checked off my boxes and all that. Was that, was, were you Catholic? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's what I thought. So I, I can't even remember if I told you this, but I was a card carrying Catholic as well. Um, okay. All right. So it was very much in the same boat in terms of, Oh, I don't what I'm hearing. And maybe I'm reading too much into this already, but uh, uh, the dogma of the Catholic church, you do the rituals, there's the incense sign of cross, uh, kind of go through the motions as a, as a youngster and a teenager, went through catechism, all that stuff, but it never really, uh, how should I say, stuck with me uh, through those years. So uh, continue yeah. on. I just wanted to uh, share that. I couldn't remember if I told you that or not, that I was raised Catholic. So. No, no, you didn't. But yeah, a very similar sort of deal with me where I, you know, went through motions. But um, the, the way I always put it is I didn't really have any sort of relationship with Christ, which is really at, what's at the center of Christianity. And so undergraduate, I went and uh, went, went to a, a different church and uh, the pastor there was talking about how, you know, you should be focused on that relationship and, you know, everything kind of clicked together with me. And so I consider myself non-denominational now, just, just Christian, a Christian with no modifiers, we say. But, you Is know, that also, the type of, what type of church were you going to in, in Virginia then? Was it a non-denominational church or did you find something else? Or? Yeah, it's called Community Bible Church. So it's non-denominational, um, probably uh, somewhat similar to a, a Baptist bent in terms of, you know, doctrine and that sort of thing, but uh, really just sort of centered on that relationship. And so I, you know, 
went through undergrad and uh, also in undergrad, I was, of course, majoring in economics, uh, which is right. why, you know, uh, I'm here is I, I have this great interest in uh, love for economics, especially uh, what I think is one of the most important focuses of economics, which is to look at the unseen consequences of particular um, actions or policies. You know, the, this goes all the way back to uh, Bastiat, but uh, into uh, to Hazlitt and closer to the modern day. Did you get that love from your first principles class or was it a little bit later? Uh, Did you have a a good professor or what what do you think? How did that love of econ start? So I had actually a high school teacher. I I was lucky enough to be in a class in high school uh, where, or a place in high school where we were were required uh, to take an economics course as part of our third year. And so I had a professor who was a very difficult professor, not professor, I suppose, teacher. He was a very difficult teacher, but, you know, really pushed students and uh, really brought back the idea of the importance of economics, that really everything in terms of human interest, you know, our actions are motivated by uh, economic reasons. And that, that doesn't only mean by money, but just self-interest on mm-hmm. how, that, how that affects the world as a whole. And so I, I had that really good class. And, you know, for the first time in my life, I thought, oh, this is something great. This is something that I could you know, consider doing an undergrad and, you know, grad school and uh, really made it my mission from that point on to take econ as far as it would go in terms of my career. Did you find those notions of self-interest contrary to religion as you knew it, um, whether it was with with the Catholic Church or did you see them as two different camps of things or uh, overlap or contrary? No, I, 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 I think there was a little bit of time where I had to spend, you know, thinking through this, but I actually think they're complementary in that if you want to, you know, take on that model of Christ, you know, uh, follow what he sort of did in his life or try your best, obviously, there, there's no way to be successful at that. But if you want to sort of follow Christ as a model and help the poor and be interested in, you know, the less fortunate, what you have to do is you have to be successful at that. You can't take actions, which actually you're going to you know, either not work or even produce the opposite result you expect in terms of helping the poor. And so the great thing about economics, that, that logic that people are self-interested, what it does is it helps us realize that, you know, certain rule sets that we make aren't going to do the things that we want them to do, even if we want to, them to do that. Uh, and so I, I see them actually as more complementary than contradictory. Justin, what's your uh, word again, uh, preferred, you're, you're number three on, on subsidiarity. Uh, subsidiarity. Principle of permissible partiality. Permissible principle. partiality. Oh, principle, oh yeah, it's PPP. I, I got to yeah. remember the PPP part. Principle of uh, permissible partiality, uh, which is the philosopher's angle here on self-interest and, and how that makes the world a better place. Uh, that from a moral standpoint, it even makes sense. And I, I think that's part of where that um, starts to come from, from biblical terms as well. If you've got, uh, if Jesus is part of your interest, then your self-interest is is all of a sudden takes on a little bit different, uh, different look, different appeal, if that's part of your interest. Yeah. And, and on that, um, the idea of self-interest, you know, oftentimes in economics, we use something like money because money is a good substitute for a lot of other goods that you might want. But, you know, self-interest can include like things like love. I had uh, Walter Williams as my professor at George Mason Economics. Oh, that's awesome. I listened yeah. to Walter. Uh, he came and guest spoke at Lindenwood um, just, when was that? Last fall. I took students to uh, Lindenwood University and he came and uh, spoke. That was awesome. He's- He's still very, you know, very good speaker, uh, you know, a little bit intimidating to have as a professor, but also, you know, uh, something that you're honored to have because he's so smart. But he, he came to class one day and he asked us what love was. 
And then he wrote on the board a utility function that included the utility of his wife in it. And he said, love is when someone else's utility is in your utility. In other words, uh, sometimes self-interest could be um, you wanting the best for someone else. Self-interest doesn't have to be like this narrow idea of just money. And so economists recognize this money is often used, but you know, it could be you're, you are interested in making someone better off because that makes you happy as well. Right. Now, I don't know how tight you are with Walter, but you're making me think of uh, next spring when it gets into black history month, could we possibly get him on a zoom uh, to do some sort of presentation or exchange with our students? I could send him an email. Yeah. We'd have to see. I, I I can't speak for him, but uh, you know, I, I I think he would remember me. We had a little bit of, you know, discussion every once in a while. Uh, Oh man, um, that would be so awesome. We'd have to, or or a podcast. uh, If he'd be up for doing that um, down the road would be another thing. That would be great. I did uh, a special thing for black history month last spring with uh, Thomas soul with Justin. So we did. Um, uh, oh, we read a book. We didn't do it with. Thomas. That's right. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. The, right. We we yeah. did kind of one of our book club things, basically. Yeah. So uh, constrained and unconstrained visions. Um, it would have been fantastic if we did it with. Yeah, Thomas. that's great. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, maybe we could do something similar with uh, Dr. Williams. Would be awesome. Oh my gosh, that'd be great. So. All right. So yeah. Um, so back to your uh, self-interest. And uh, I mean, for me, um, uh, I, my love of econ kind of started in high school in a weird way. I was reading like careers. Uh, you know how they had that catalog well, back in the day. It wasn't online. Of course, it was in a book. And I read Economist and I read what it was. And I'm like, oh, that sounds great. And then I got to the bottom and it said, you know, needing master's or PhD. I'm like, oh, forget that. Because I had no interest in being in school that long. Um, and then I, I was, I thought I'd be an accounting major and I went, had my first economics class and my, one of my early accounting classes. I'm like, well, accounting's not for me. Uh, and I had a pretty good, um, dry humored, um, economics professor at my community college I started off with. So as as all the good ones are. Yes. Yes. That's right. Yeah. 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 You can't get, you can't get the type of humor that we deliver on this podcast very often from economists. It's mostly dry humor in the classroom that we've. Uh, come to <laughs> come to enjoy over the years. So, okay. So, um, so wh- where do you think uh, with economics? Uh, elaborate a little bit more on on uh, biblical ties to how you see uh, economics and and faith uh, shaping up together. Sure. Um, and so, I think that one of the primary instructions. Uh, so maybe we'll get a little bit more specific into something I was saying earlier. One of the primary instructions that Jesus has is that, you know, you should look out for your poor brothers and sisters. And so the idea is, you know, you, you should help them. And one way that you could think of that is just simple charity, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But another way that it's taken by a, a lot of Christians is that, well, we should use, you know, because God has given us this democracy that we live in, we should use government as sort of a, a tool to carry out, you know, um, poverty alleviation or something like that. Um, and so what economics, you know, has to say is, well, we can take, for example, one of the classic examples is the minimum wage, right? Does the minimum wage, you know, help the poor? Well, the, the, the answer to that is it's not su- super straightforward. Uh, there are some people who kind of the insiders, people who already have jobs, uh, who might get a wage increase when the minimum wage is passed. But economics will also teach us that uh, when you require a higher wage than the kind of the prevailing market wage, what that means is you're going to have a 
uh, quantity supply that's greater than the quantity demanded. That's called a surplus. And on the uh, labor market, what that means is you have unemployment, right? And so there are some insiders who are better off, but it actually tends to be the case that uh, you make the some of the poor worse off. And so when you try to use the state as a kind of a, a tool to, you know, do the things that you think that good Christians should do, uh, I, I think it's, you know, you you have to take into consideration these things. You have to consider, take into consideration the unintended consequences. And I think that uh, really the the minimum wage is a great example, but there's so many others. And really any policy, you can have this sort of discussion about uh, costs and benefits. When you start saying uh, <clears throat> using it as a tool, I, I think a lot of fear that maybe non-Christians and um, either atheists or uh, people of other faiths might have is uh, we don't want the government to be a church, right? So kind of, uh, what do you, what's your thoughts on separation of church and state? Like, uh, are you okay with a secular government or, or should we try to, to create a Christian government since this was a Christian nation? Uh, you hear some people say, I put that in air quotes for all you listeners. Uh, cause I think I've challenged that in the past too, uh, on <laughs> the legitimacy of calling this a Christian nation. But, uh, what are your thoughts there, Peter? Well, I'm a big believer in competition, and so I, I think I might be stealing a little bit from Smith here, uh, but I, I personally don't want there to be a state church or something like that because I want Christianity to, to succeed. And so when we do, you know, <laughs> models of monopoly in class, uh, what happens when you have a monopoly? Well, you have output restriction. You produce a, a lower quantity. Uh, if you have competition, there's actually a higher quantity of production. So the way that I see it, um, if you want Christianity to be successful, uh, you don't do that through um, some sort of state Christianity, because then what you're going to get is you're going to get some sort of monopoly where there's like a, a lower quantity or lower quality provided. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd rather have competition because uh, I think that's going to bring more people around uh, to the message and provide more a chance for more people to hear about it. Now, that doesn't mean that the, the state can't do anything uh, related to Christianity uh, or, or that, it, you know, that it's a totally different discussion. You know, do we want poverty alleviation? That, that's a different discussion than what I just brought up. But in terms of uh, just a straight question of uh, do, do I want state religion? Do I think there should be state religion? Uh, no, because I, I want Christianity to do well. Yeah. When I was uh, younger, I often thought when I was, I guess, on the fence on my beliefs, um, I would think, well, even if you're not a Christian, you should support religion and Christianity because of the good morals that they put forward. That's the type of society I'd like to live in even if it wasn't. So then at that time, you know, it's kind of using Christianity as a tool, if you will, for maybe atheists or other people of different faiths, that that's not a bad outcome socially. So I think that's where we start to get some of the overlap of economic freedom and competition and a lot of those good things that um, are uh, consistent with uh, biblical narratives as well. And so um, with that, it looks like a good time to take a break, and we'll kind of explore more on uh, the fit of economics and the overlap of faith. We'll be back in just a bit.
All right, welcome back to second half. And I wanted to kick things off by uh, letting Nate talk a little bit more. Uh, he was a student of mine, one of my top students in economics, uh, although the class was a little weak that year, Nate. Sorry, so you were, you were the best of the worst. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> we, I, was, uh, I, I approached Nate about the position. He coincidentally had already an interest in it. And I think you maybe said you were going to uh, approach me too. So anyway, yeah. uh, it's awesome to have uh, Nate on board here. He, he really was a top student, inquisitive on uh, many different areas and things that we do in the, in the economics major and was able to handle the quantitative side uh, as well. And so, uh, Nate, I'm curious on a little bit uh, more about you and, and maybe your faith and uh, background and whatnot. Yeah, thanks, Russ. I'm just, I'm really excited about this graduate assistant job. I've, I've been learning a lot already, and it's, it's really exciting. And I have a great, I have three mentors now, adding Peter in. I can learn from all three of you guys, and it's, it's really exciting. With me, I, uh, just like you guys, I was actually uh, raised Catholic. I was baptized Catholic. And then further down in my faith, my, my dad and mom decided to stop going to the Catholic church and we went to a Lutheran church. Oh, woohoo! yeah. I don't and, know if I uh, mentioned that I'm Missouri Synod Lutheran. I, I mean, I have on the podcast many times. My yeah. listeners probably know that, but okay. Yeah. So I'm, I was confirmed a Lutheran and did all my communion stuff. And I've just been going to a Lutheran church in Colorado my entire life growing up. And then we moved actually. So we moved to Idaho, and that is a big uh, Mormon area, uh, right. Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's a big area, and there's not a lot of Lutheran churches. So we would, we would go around and try to find a church that we liked, and we didn't enjoy it as much as we used to enjoy our church back in Colorado. And so, yeah, I kind of not like fell out, but kind of just was not going to church as much anymore when we moved to Idaho. And and then I went to junior college, and that's where I started my economics journey. And in college, I just really wasn't too strong in my faith as well in the first two years. And it was, it was a really big blessing that I was able to finally end up in Ottawa, which is a, a long story. But coming here, it's really helped me dive deeper into my faith and my economics journey as well. I've, uh, I've always been, I've played soccer my entire life. And the only reason I went to college was to play soccer. And so academically, I wasn't too inclined in the economic journey. But as I've been growing on, and now that I've learned that soccer is not your entire life, <laughs> and it shouldn't be, uh, I'm actually falling in love with, with economics and learning. And I think this is my stage in life where I really can fall in love with it and really put all my focus in as my soccer career is coming to an end. I don't have to focus on that. And I don't really want to focus on it anymore. I think it's time to grow and new areas and I'm excited to do that here at the Gortney Institute. Cool well you're uh, welcome to uh, come to my church uh, it's it's only about a mile away from the campus oh yeah uh, so it's Missouri Synod Lutheran and uh, we got some good stuff going on there so you're oh. more than welcome to come there and I'll be happy to introduce you to some folks and it's it's a nice church so oh, that'll be awesome yeah all right and uh, did you have a question for Peter? Yeah, Peter, I was just, this is my first time meeting you over the podcast, so I'm just, it's great to hear from you, and I was just wondering uh, about your dissertation and what your research has been on and what you're doing for your doctorate. 
think that's unless it's super boring then just be really quick <laughs> yeah, we don't it, want but... to hear about it <laughs> all the listeners are starting to go okay uh well, dissertation. it's the most exciting thing to me so i guess it should, <laughs> I should be for... no, thank, it's a good question Eddie. thank you uh so i think the the broad way i would describe my research in the dissertation itself is uh, i'm interested in uh what julian simon referred to as the ultimate resource uh, which is people and specifically people in their creative and entrepreneurial function and so my research and my dissertation center around that idea, the idea of the, the person as an entrepreneur. And so one angle that I take that in is a very similar angle that Simon looked at is the idea of population. And so a lot of times economics papers focus on what, you know, how many people should be in a specific country and, you know, yeah. they make doomsday, sort of... doomsday predictions on, oh, right. the world would be such a better place. We'd have much more resources if we just had less people. And then, right. yeah. or, and, you and know, they... we go down the eugenics path or something. So that's, that's right. And they, they, a lot of these papers, you know, they, they use uh, labor as sort of their variable to account for the, the value that people add. Uh, but really, um, you know, labor is part of what people add, certainly. But I, I think the, the entrepreneurial function is much more central to the addition of people throughout history. That is, the, the greatest innovations uh, in the economy and the greatest growth have come from the entrepreneur. And so including that in kind of changes the analysis. And so that's part of it. And then the other part uh, of the dissertation, one of the three papers that um, I'm submitting to a journal or in the process of right now, uh, is a focus on, well, what exactly, you know, is entrepreneurship? And so how we look at that is we, we look at uh, Schumpeterian and Kersnerian entrepreneurship. That's, uh, you probably heard of Schumpeter either, you know, explicitly or through a class, the, this idea of creative destruction. That yeah, that's what you usually have to just say, people's creative destruction. Yeah, Nate certainly, uh, hopefully, I don't know if he remembers it, but yes, he's been <laughs> exposed to creative destruction. So <laughs> he's taken one of my classes. That's creative destruction in and of itself. <laughs> And so, so that's one angle to look at it at from the other angle, Kersnerian entrepreneurship is this idea that the entrepreneur uh, helps make, uh, you know, prices be what they're, what they should be in equilibrium. Uh, and so that's, you know, if you have two different prices, the entrepreneur can buy from the lower price and sell to the higher price and sort of bring those two prices uh, together. So there's no discrepancy. And so I, I look at in one of my papers uh, with, with a couple of co-authors, the idea of containerization, that's Malcolm McLean. Um, and actually, I listened to the podcast, and Dr. Courtney, I know, talked about this as well. Um, Malcolm mm. McLean created the, the standard shipping container. Oh, uh, yeah. In doing so, you know, beforehand, you know, there was a bunch of union labor forces, and they were, you know, literally just carrying thousands of items by hand all the time. And so this created, uh, you know, all sorts of you know, different prices throughout the world because the, the transaction costs, you know, the cost associated with, with uh, protecting the, the property on the boats was so high. Uh, that mm-hmm. it didn't make sense to assemble things across different countries. And so we talk about how Malcolm McLean acted as both. He, he was uh, Schumpeterian in that he changed a lot of what the labor uh, looks like in these countries, but he was also Kersnerian in the sense that, you know, now uh, countries have a, a lot more, you know, closer to each other's prices, you know, not, not, not diverting by uh, transaction costs or something mm-hmm. like that. Right. Cool stuff. All right. So, Justin, uh, what do you got to throw at uh, Peter here? Uh, I was wondering if Peter had any uh, background, either formally or informally, in uh, philosophy. And um, uh, well, no, what a shocking of course, question coming from you. <laughs> yeah, and no is of course a perfectly acceptable answer. So, 
Uh, well, formally, certainly no. Um, yeah, that, nothing, nothing in terms of background there. But informally, so of course, I've done, I've done some looking myself. And so well, I, I can give you sort of my most recent interest is uh, William James. And so William James is someone that I, I've been reading about a little bit recently. And he has this interesting article that I was reading the other day called The Will to Believe. I, I think it was actually an address when he gave it. Um, but the will to believe, if I understand it right, and, and you know, I, I, I'm not a philosopher, so it's a little tricky to, to read through the, the thing, the papers and the addresses. They but what he to says be logical, is, but it's, it's sometimes questionable. <laughs> <laughs> his, uh, his main point, I think, was that some things that are true are made true by belief in them. And so like an example is like, if we are all on a train and I think this is the example he uses, so probably a little dated, but I'm going to use it. If we're all on a train and everybody in the train car believes that they can stop a hijacker if they come on the train, uh, then it will be the case that a hijacking won't occur or if it occurs, it'll be stopped. Whereas if everyone's afraid and they don't think they can stop the person, uh, it won't happen um, because, you know, the, they won't try to prevent it from occurring. And so he uses this idea that belief can create truth uh, and contrast it with the idea of like, well, we should certainly always be agnostic about things we're not certain about. And he says, well, that's not necessarily the case, because if there's something that we're not certain about, but it can be made, you know, something can be made true by believing in it, it's not necessarily the case that we should just be agnostic about it, because, you know, there, there's a cost to that. And that cost is you, it's, it no longer becomes true for you when you stop believing it, if that makes sense. And so I hope I did uh, William James justice there. And so uh, a little bit with William James, and of course, you know, uh, in my economics, you know, the relationship between economic laws and truth, I, I've gotten a little bit into Kant and the synthetic a priori stuff. I, I've looked at that a little bit, uh, you know, kind of painstakingly read into that. Um, and, and so I'd say that that's sort of the limits. And so I, I read casually, I guess. No one reads Kant casually. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Painfully, maybe. Yeah, painfully. Yeah, that's <laughs> So Justin, that. what's your critique? On, uh, first of all, do you know James? I don't know how well, if you know everything about every philosopher, I don't know everything about every economist, but uh, were you familiar with that one, Justin? I know everything about every philosopher and every economist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, well, uh, we, no, we don't I, need to be here then, I guess. Yeah. So we'll just, I, guess. Um, I, I thought he made more sense out of James than um, maybe, maybe than even is warranted. Uh, James, <laughs> uh, James is theory on, you know, on will to believe is, uh, is inter I think you did a, a pretty good job summarizing it, but James, uh, I've written papers attacking James because of his theory of truth generally, which is he's a pragmatist with regard yes. to truth. Um, and that, that, that there isn't really a truth, the truth like comes about through belief. Well, is that what you were challenging kind of, or? he's all over the place. Uh, so he says stuff in some places that seems like he's kind of a correspondence theorist. And then in other places, he says the tr truth is just what works. That's what we mean by true. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the problem, I mean, Sidney uh, Morgan Besser said, you know, pragmatism is a, is good in theory, but it doesn't work in practice. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, and, there's a certain like historicism in it. Right. And I, I agree with that. I, 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 f I find it weird that like I read through Will to Believe and I thought, yeah, 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 all this is great, but you're right. I, and I looked at, you know, William James a little bit and saw Pragmatist and there's like the problem, at least one of the problems, and I'm sure you have like an even deeper knowledge, but the problem of saying what works uh, is true is that sometimes if you don't have the full truth grasped, 
what works can change because you know you have different historical details and so there's sort of a historicism embedded in it i think yeah and there's i mean it's just like look truth is different from what works there's i mean 70 you know uh like 70% of the population believes they're better than average looking. Um, is, it, <laughs> is, it, is it good to believe you're slightly better looking than you are? Probably, right? It probably helps you to believe that. Um, but is but, it true? Uh, <laughs> yeah, but of course, it, I mean, it, it just can't be true that 70% of the population is better than average looking. So um, I, I get, uh, you know, angry and fired up when people uh, say things about truth that aren't correct, having written a dissertation on it. Uh, and I've, and so when I read James, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, I have to go home and cut the eyeballs out of photographs <laughs> or something. You know. So, so that then do you kind of go, what, where's your sort of philosophy, uh, philosophical, um, family tree? Who, who, who do you, who you sort of focus on? Who's your favorite philosopher, I guess? Uh, Donald Davidson. Okay. Um, and he's, it's kind of, he's kind of an inside baseball philosopher. So he was the, um, the student and probably successor to Quine. Um, and so, and, you know, Quine was a successor of the logical positivists, but um, so kind of a inside baseball analytic philosophers, analytic philosopher. And what I like okay, about- You got to unpack that a little bit. This is going <laughs> so far over my head. I can't even reach up. So yeah, just, give, uh, give, just give me a little layman's thing on Davidson and maybe how he's different because then that uh, might help a little. Um, I think that uh, if you're doing philosophy right, it should, uh, I, in Wittgenstein's terms, it should leave everything as it is, and you shouldn't get some crazy conclusions from doing philosophy. Mm. Um, so one of the things that I appreciate in Davidson is that um, he gives very technical arguments for a kind of common sense understanding of the word of the world. Um, okay, I like that. That's maybe why I like you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy common sense. <laughs> Jim yeah. Gortney's book, Common Sense Economics. So that's a good one. All right. Um, Peter, tell us about your family a little bit. We'll kind of maybe wrap up the show with a little more personal stuff. Um, uh, you, you got some, some kids. Uh, I don't even think I know your wife's name. Uh, uh, what, what's, tell us a little bit about uh, family. You're about to find out. Um, that's so, true. It's so my, my wife's name is Haley. I actually met her uh, at university. Um, at in line, we, we were at a scholarship banquet uh, that the university has for the people who get endowed scholarships. Graduate or undergrad? Undergrad. Undergrad. And, and so this was at Southeast Missouri State down in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. And so we were in line for food. And what she tells me is that I stared at her so long, she felt compelled to speak to me. <laughs> and, and so I, I guess I, I've never been sure what to think about that. I, I suppose, uh, you know, it, it worked, I guess. That, that, that's, so maybe it's not true because it worked, but it did work. Um, and so, you know, she started talking to me and we talked and actually, you know, uh, I'd say by God's grace, um, you know, other people could say by chance maybe, but we, we didn't really exchange numbers or anything that time. We just kind of talked for a little bit and we ran into each other on campus two or three more times. And it's not a small campus, uh, 10,000 students about, right. yeah, that's pretty um, good size. at least enrolled. And so there's, there were a decent number of people living there. And so, uh, two or three times, I think it took of running into each other before we finally decided that, you know, we should, we should talk more. And, 
Um, so we, we talked and, you know, we talked about faith and we talked about uh, future goals and all that stuff. And, you know, now we got married in uh, 2016, May 21st, 2016. So we've been married for four years now. Uh, two girls, Cedar, who is coming out of her twos right now. Uh, hopefully both uh, literally and figuratively. Um, and then I have a, a younger daughter who is uh, going on six months now. Oh, wow. Um, so what's her name? Uh, Ren. So Ren. Cedar and Ren. And my wife insists that the any future children will also be nature names, but I'm fighting against the nature names. I like Cedar and Ren. <laughs> oh, so there are future children too. Are, are you planning on six or seven or how many <laughs> oh, quills? You know, four, 14, 16. No, I... Um, <laughs> I'd say, you know, we're, we don't have a, a solid number down, but we, okay. we, we've always thought like maybe four, but there's also possibly adoption down there in the line. We, we haven't talked uh, that far down the line yet. I don't think in terms of for sure plans. So was Haley um, uh, non-denominational type upbringing or what was yes. her background? Yeah, okay. I, was, I was going to church with her when I, when I yeah. had my, uh, we'll, we'll say when Jesus knocked me off my horse. Yeah, well, I, I married a Missouri Synod Lutheran, so I kind of did this, I just followed suit. I was a, a fairly easy convert, so, um, <laughs> so that's a, that is a pattern, I think, of the, the male uh, just adopting a different way uh, once whatever uh, and I'm speaking not generally, but for, for my own self here, uh, it was easier to just go roll with the punches, which is what I do often. So, And I'm sure your wife is the same way, but my wife was a fantastic witness is the great part. It's like, you know, it, it's hard to uh, deny truth when it's staring you in the face. And that especially ah. comes when someone's providing you a, a good witness. I uh, think, uh, I don't know if my wife was that great of a witness, to be honest with you, if, I, if I'm having confession <laughs> Does she listen time. to this podcast? <laughs> oh, no, she never listens, so I'm safe. But, uh, you know, we, we both have grown together. She was, she was stronger in her faith, um, but, you know, certainly wasn't somebody who wore it on their sleeve or, you know, was, was too, I don't know. But to me, that's the best kind of witness, right, is, is somebody who just does their thing. They're just you know, they're not uh, announcing it over a megaphone or anything. They're just living their, living their life. So yeah, someone who's been through it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that looks like a good place to wrap. Uh, any last thoughts here by, uh, uh, let me start with Peter. And Well, I guess I, I'm just excited, you know, to all the listeners excited to continue and, you know, talk about uh, economics and yeah, I'll go back and read some William James just to spite Justin, uh, I guess and, uh, <laughs> back and, uh, learn all about philosophy so we could debate. No, not, not really. But I, I, I talked about, you know, economics in the future, uh, have, have listened to the podcast and loved, you know, I loved the free will discussions. And so I can't wait to get on board uh, yeah. with something like that. Yeah, that was fun. All right. Well, on behalf of the Gorton Institute, I'd like to thank you all for listening. Um, if you feel so inclined, if you could uh, find your rating system on uh, the Apple or otherwise and give us the old five star if you like what you hear. That helps other people find our podcast, and we continue to put this out each week, and we appreciate you listening. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.